In the NIV, we're looking at uh, the glory of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. And this passage, if we can get it, if we, can, if we can't get it, I'll read it from this guy, so don't worry about it. But if you can bring it up in the NIV, it would make life easier. Well, I'm going to start reading it here. If it pops up, you get, let me know and I'll turn around and look at it. This Paul calls the glory of the new covenant. But if the ministry of death... Oh, man. If the ministry of death... Hello? There's a ministry that God started from him, and it's the ministry of death. Anyone want to sign up for the ministry of death? All those in favor of living under the ministry of death? Amore, put your hand down, you idiot. <laughs> I, he, he's calling it the ministry of death. If, Now, that's the New King James. That's what I'm reading, which I don't like. But I sure like that first part, but if the ministry of death. Okay, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, what, what's he talking about? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law that was given Mount Sinai to the Jewish people. Now, it's coming from God, and it's God's law. So... Now, if the ministry that brought death, isn't that interesting? One translation is the ministry of death, and the other translation is the ministry that brought death. But it doesn't matter because the point's the same. If you're going to live under this ministry, it's going to kill you. Not good for you. Bad. And yet it came from God, and it's the ministry of God's perfect law, so it reflects God's holiness perfectly. Why does it bring death? What kind of death does it bring? And why does it bring death? It came from God. It's good. It's a reflection of his perfection. It's holy. But it brings death to us. Why? This is an open book exam. Um, you can just call out. Why do you think this... Ministry, the law, brings death. What kind of death does it bring? Why does it bring death? Any ideas? What? Makes our sin evident. Do you need that? No, seriously. Do, 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 do you need, how, how much do you need your sin to be... How, much, how often do you need to be reminded of your sin? I don't know. Maybe I'm different. I have always had a very profound realization of my own sin. I find it convicts me most of the time. It's what kept me from being a Christian. I desperately wanted to be a Christian when I was 21. I really did. I wanted to know God. I wanted to be a Christian. But I was certain of one thing, absolutely without question. No self-respecting church would have me for a member. No, I'm serious. 
I was a very bad person doing a lot of bad things. I wanted to be a Christian, but I knew I'm not good enough. I can't. I don't have what it takes. I'll just stumble and screw up again. And so I stayed away from God till I was 28, simply because I had a really good understanding of my own sin. And I knew that my weakness was stronger than I was. That's not good news. Living under that is not good news. So, if the ministry that brought death, it brings, it, it brings death because it brings hopelessness. When you're hopeless, you might as well be dead. Most people that commit suicide commit suicide because they've completely lost hope. So when you're constantly being reminded of your own failure, you very quickly lose hope. You don't believe there's any chance to change. The more clearly you understand your own brokenness and your own sin, the more you know there's no chance to fix yourself. You, you don't have what it takes to fix yourself. That brings death. That brings despair. That brings hopelessness. So if the ministry that brings death, which was engraved on letters of stone so we know it's the law he's talking about, it came with glory. How can something that brings death come with glory? Because it comes from God and it's the truth. Everything in there is the truth. It's the glory of God, but it's not the glory for us. So that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Moses had been in the presence of God when he received the law. Now, we all know that, and so we don't even pause and think about it. Moses was in the presence of God when he received the law. Moses was face to face with God. Face to face with God. Intimate. In his presence when he received the law. He was so affected by the presence of God and the beauty and the goodness and the wonder of God that his face actually glowed. And when he left that place, there was a glow coming off of him that people could actually see. They could see the glory of God on Moses and coming through Moses. So much so that it was a distraction to what he was trying to do. And he had to cover his face so that the people wouldn't be so caught up in the glory they didn't hear what he had to say. So they couldn't even look steadily at him because of its glory. Now, listen, transitory though it was, this glory which came from God and touched Moses was a passing thing. It wasn't a permanent thing. It was a fading condition. Now, You're living under the law. You're living under the ministry that brings death. You're living under a whole body of rules and regulations that in your heart you know you can't keep. But it's all true, these laws, and they're all good. And you try so hard to keep them. You do everything you can to keep them, but the glory fades. You can only do it for so long before you fail. And when you fail, 
there's no glory for you. There's just a sense of failure. Is this true? Do you remember what it was like to try to be better than you are? How hopeless it becomes when you're trying to be better than you are and the very rules you're trying to keep tell you you're not keeping them and you're not measuring up. Do any of you remember what it was like before you were a Christian? Oh, here's the worst of it. For some of you, you never stopped living Christianity that way. You just got a new set of laws, but you're still under it. Constantly being convicted that you're not good enough, that you're not going to make it, that you can't keep the perfect laws of God. Transitory. That kind of righteousness is transitory. You feel good while you're succeeding with a few laws, but as soon as you're convicted because you failed on a couple other laws, your, your security, your, your, even your sense of God's presence just evaporates. Sometimes you're up, often you're down. It's this roller coaster. Let's go on to the next few verses. Ah, okay, now this is interesting. Oh, boy. See, there's two ministries being contrasted in this, this passage. There's the first ministry, the one that brings death. It's not good news, by the way. Now, here, now we're getting into something that's quite interesting. Will not the ministry... See, the first one was the ministry of the law. Okay? That's the ministry of law, and it brings death, condemnation, hopelessness, and despair. But now Paul's introducing a new idea. A whole new ministry. The ministry of the Spirit. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? There's good news coming here. There's an alternative to that life under the law. To that thing that brings death, condemnation. It's called the ministry of the Spirit. And it's way more glorious. But what do we know about it? Let's keep going. So Paul goes on to describe it. If the ministry that brought condemnation, life under the law, if it was glorious because it came from God, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Is this getting hopeful, people? Is this getting like, oh man, you know what? There might be a solution to this mess I've been living under. This constant sense of failure this constant sense that I'm not measuring up, that I'll never be good enough, the loss of hope, maybe there's a solution to the ministry that brings condemnation. Maybe there's something that... Oh, no, wait a minute. This is... Paul must have made a mistake. No, it's not possible. There's a new ministry that actually makes me righteous, brings righteousness to me, a ministry that something that the Spirit does that actually changes me and I become righteous and it's something the Spirit does, not something I have to do, please get this. Under the ministry of the law, it's up to you. Under the ministry of the Spirit, it's up to the Spirit. It's not your, it's not your work. It's not your obligation. You're not capable of it anyway. You don't have what it takes to be righteous, okay? 
Yarus knew that. You knew that under the law. The law accomplished its task. You don't have what it takes to be righteous. Now here's the good news. There's another ministry coming from somewhere else that doesn't have anything to do with you and your righteousness. It's something He does in you. The Holy Spirit's a He. It's a person, not an it. He has a character. He has a personality. It's relational. And He's going to do something inside of you that actually brings righteousness, creates it in you. It's not going to be your work. It's going to be His work. Does that take the load off or what? Is that good news or what? So this gets better. Actually, it just gets better as the passage goes on. It's incredible when you look at it. Let's take the next one. For what was glorious has no glory now. That that the law came in glory because it came from God. But it has no glory now after this new thing has come in comparison with the surpassing glory. Whatever was glorious about the law because it came from God is is nothing compared to this new glory that's coming because of what the Spirit's going to do. Keep going. If what was transitory, remember remember life under law? Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you feel good, most of the time you don't. it's, It's just a nasty roller coaster ride. If what was transitory came with glory, how, now listen, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Whatever is happening here with the Spirit doesn't come and go. It is not transitory. It is lasting unto eternity. It will never go away. He will never stop this work within you. It is permanent. He promises it. It is going to last. Keep going. It's going to last, people. It's not going to be here for a little while and then go away and you're going to be stuck with hating yourself again for the next few weeks. doesn't work that way. Therefore, (laughs) does this give us hope? Therefore, we have such a hope. Listen, what I've just said in the last couple of sentences, it should be giving you hope. There's a better way to live than the way I've been feeling. There's a better way to be with God than the shame that I've experienced. There's something hopeful going on here. This is good news. We could even call it the gospel. It's such good news. We, why don't we just call it good news? Therefore, since we have such a hope, what, is the produ- what, what does hope produce when you have it consistently? When you feel secure because you're not living in shame. Where you're not walking around with your sins being held up in front of you every few minutes. Look, you're a loser. Look, you're a loser. That thing has been taken away. That's not how you're living anymore. Guess what? It makes you bold. You, knew, you have a new confidence. It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in the one who's changing you, who loves you, who's committed to you. You're living in the Spirit. It's a new deal. It makes you extremely bold. You end up bragging to people about it. You say, you know, you remind me of me. And they go, what do you mean? You're a loser. I am? Yeah, you are. I guess I am. But you're not anymore. You don't have to be. There's this new thing. It's fantastic. Let me tell you about it. It's incredible. It changed my life. Makes you bold. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in Him. 
in Him. Blessed is the person whose confidence is in Him. That confidence comes because of what the Holy Spirit's doing within you in the ministry of the Spirit. Okay, let's keep going. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. If you see this new glory, it lasts. It doesn't come and go. It's permanent. That's how come you can count on it. That's how come you don't have to get insecure because it's permanent. You can't even stop it. You can slow it down, but you can't stop it. You can't stop his love. You can't stop what he's doing. He's committed. He's committed to you. He's committed to this in you. Keep going. Their minds were made dull for to this day. Now, look, their minds were made dull. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. For to this day, the same veil, listen, the same confusion, vagueness, barrier remains when the old covenant is read. As soon as you go back in your life to living your Christian life according to a set of rules and regulations, the same confusion, doubt, insecurity, and ultimately condemnation comes upon you. It's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. The only way you can overcome life in the law is when you're in relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only time you can overcome it. Anything else won't work. But in Christ, it is taken away. Now, it gets better. Next, next phrase. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Even today, when we live as legalistic Christians under the law, the same veil covers our hearts. Keep going. But when anyone turns to the Lord, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and they begin to see clearly. Keep going. Now the Lord, now this is, this is where the work of the Spirit comes in. Remember, he called this the ministry of the Spirit a few sentences ago. Now we're beginning to understand how this operates in the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful that Jesus and the Spirit are being associated as one? You know, we're always afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's spooky. It's like Casper, the rather unfriendly ghost. Or the unpredictable kind of strange ghost. And we treat the Holy Spirit, I don't know, like some kind of weird, fantastical force. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus without skin. See, when Jesus went away, I'm not physically going to be with you anymore. He said, It's good that I go and not physically be with you anymore, because you get to have the Holy Spirit. You, you get me without skin. And he can be everywhere at once, so don't worry, you'll never be alone. So, Jesus and the Spirit, they're one. Where the Spirit of Jesus is, there is... Now, what is the freedom from? 
Open book. Huh? It's, this, it's a freedom from selfishness. It's the freedom from compulsive sin. It's the freedom from guilt. It's the freedom from shame. It's the freedom from self-hate. It's a freedom from hopelessness. It's the freedom from despair. It's a freedom from always living your life looking at the law and being convicted by it like I'm a loser, I'm a failure, there's no hope. Yeah, it's always going to be this way. I might as well just go through the motions, keep on going to church, smile and pretend everything's fine, but in my heart I know I'm a loser and I'll never get out of this mess. Loser. (laughs) Freedom. Characteristics. That's coming. In a minute, you're going to see that. Exactly. Okay? And all of us, all of us, when we're living in the Spirit, that thing hanging between us and God, that, see, the devil every morning prints out on his computer a list of your failures. And then you go out to live your day and he holds it up. And everywhere you go, you're constantly looking at your failures. There's always something to convict you. That's how you're relating to God through your failures when you're living under the law, trying to find God, but mostly seeing your failures. That's the devil's agenda for you daily. That's what he wants you to see. That's his job description. It's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's just being himself. And we who have had that thing removed, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, when we gaze at Him, not at ourselves, when we look at His beauty and goodness, not at our brokenness and failure and sin and shame, when we contemplate His beauty, and his goodness, when we gaze, one of the, the Greek word for contemplate there translates as gaze and reflect. Gaze and reflect. This is so cool. As we're gazing at him, we are being, look at this, you guys. This is ridiculous. We're, as we're looking at him, as we're simply nothing more than looking at Him, just looking at Him, just wondering about Him, just putting our attention on Him. When we're simply putting our attention on Him, we are being transformed into His image. We are being transformed into His likeness. Not because we're doing more and trying harder. Simply because our gaze is on Him. Just looking at Him brings transformation. Just attending to Him brings transformation. Because the Spirit's doing it inside of us as we're looking at Jesus. It is a transformation that is almost incidental. Our gaze is on Jesus. Our focus is on Him. And something's happening inside of us by a power that's beyond us that is changing us into His likeness just because we're looking at Him. Beholding brings becoming. What you choose to focus on is what you will become. In the spirit world, 
of God. What you choose to focus on and dwell upon is what you will become. But looking at Jesus brings transformation into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. From glory to glory to glory, the more we look at him, the more we become like him. And it goes up and up and up and up and up. And it comes from the, from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not something we do ourselves. Hello? God, people, this has got to be good news. If this isn't good news, you're dead. This is good news. This is the best possible news. Now, these are the characteristics of what this life under the Spirit looks like and what it does. But we don't yet know how it works. Paul has not, in this passage, Paul has not told us how this works, just what it does. I want to know the mechanism. When I read this, I said, I want to know how it works. What's going on inside of me? I'm gazing at Jesus. But how does the Spirit do this transformational thing? So I went and I looked for the ministry, the phrase, the ministry of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, anywhere else in Paul's writings. Hunt, 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 hunt. To try to see if there was any other place where he had described this work in any depth. Well, what did I find? The key to the whole deal. Now I've lost it. (laughs) Romans. Oh, I hate it when this happens. Ah, got it. Go to Romans 8. 15. Let's bring up Romans 8.15. I'm going to read it to you, and then it's going to pop up there. I have faith for that. Let's start with 14. (laughs) Gotcha. Can we start with 14? It's easy for me to say it. It's harder for you guys to have to do it. All right. Cha-ching. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For those, this is the ministry of the Spirit, right? Those who are led by the Spirit. This is what Paul's been talking about. This is what does this amazing transformation. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now let's go to the next one. Right away you should be getting a hint. Those who are led by the Spirit are the hard laborers of God. Oh. Those who are led by the Spirit of the, are the upper management in the kingdom of God. No, no, not that. Uh, those that are led by the Spirit are the servants of God. No, wrong again. Oh, look. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children. They are the children of God. The Spirit you received. When you became a Christian, you received the Spirit of God. Elvis, when you became a Christian, God's Spirit came to live inside of you. You now have Him inside of you. 
it's a miracle. I mean, it's a supernatural, amazing thing. You received him. He didn't make you a slave. See, under the law, you were a slave. You were a slave to the law. But he's doing something entirely different. He doesn't make you a slave. See, when you live under the law, you live in the fear of failure. You're constantly living under the fear of failure. No, uh uh-uh, nope. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership, to childhood. The spirit you received adopted you as a child of God. Your identity is as a child of God. Primary, first, foremost, always. You are his child. And by the spirit living inside of you, we cry, Daddy. We cry, Daddy. Keep going. Next verse. This is the key one. Can we get to the next verse? I would be really mad at you guys right now for not getting there quicker, but I just realized you're children of God. So I don't get to chew you out. Well, I'm going to read it for you. Look, now, guys, pay attention. This is the key here, right here. The Spirit Himself. You don't have to continually remind yourself and try to talk yourself into this awareness. You don't have to convince yourself with arguments over and over, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, God loves me, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, God loves me. It's good to repeat that when you doubt it, but it isn't you that's going to do the convincing. The one who's going to do the convincing that you're God's child is the Holy Spirit. He testifies. Now, the word, the word there, testifies, is very, very important. It is um, a word that would describe a, test, test, um, a witness testifying in court. And what it means is this. The Spirit himself provides conclusive evidence. Conclusive evidence. Conclusive evidence. The Spirit himself, not you, the Spirit himself provides conclusive evidence in your spirit, at the heart and center of your life, at the place where your identity resides, at the deepest sense of awareness of who you are as a self, as an individual, as a unique person. At that level, at that deep, deep level, the Spirit Himself provides conclusive evidence that you are God's child. And He doesn't do it once. He does it over and over and over again because you need it over and over again because you begin to doubt because you slide back to living under the law because you were taught that by a bad church. Bad church. Church bad. Stop putting those people under the law. Help set them free. Introduce them to a loving father who sees them as his children. Oh, what manner of love 
the Father has lavished on us that we are called his children and that's who you are. Is that powerful or what? John got it. Paul got it. Those guys, those old guys in the Bible, they got it. They figured it out. They lived in it. Spirit himself provides conclusive evidence in our spirits at the core of our being that we are God's well-loved children. Well-loved children. Does God really long to be with you as a child? Does he see you as a child? Some of us are getting old. Like Gary, he's a wreck. Look at him. And I hate to pick Gary out, but he's such a good example of a broken old man. When God the Father looks at Gary, he sees a child. Because he's really old. Because he's really old. Everybody compared to God is a brand new creation. Because he's been around for ancient of days. He's been around a long time. I was sitting in my backyard one time, having my quiet time, and we had a 19-year-old miniature Yorkie. Nastiest, most evil little serial killer of a dog you've ever met. We tried to give him away for free. Yorkies cost a lot of money, you know. He was a purebred Yorkie. So we thought, we'll be able to give him away for free. People came to, like, check him out. He bit them. Like, we, we, could, we couldn't get rid of the dog. So I, I ended up, the dog married. Shelly had the dog when we got married, so I had to adopt the dog. I hated that dog so much. Years later, there I am, 19 years later, sitting in my backyard in the presence of the Lord, this little dog. He's 19. He's going to die soon. And I'm, I'm stroking him and kissing his head and doing baby talk with him. We didn't have any kids. We didn't have any kids, so the father heart within me has to go someplace. It t- I won't be whole if it's not expressed in some fashion. You see these pathetic old people walking around with their little dogs and little, little, little outfits and stuff, and the dog is the center of their life? There's a reason for that. It's pathetic, but there's a reason for that, Okay? <laughs> It's because they're empty nesters or they're never had a nesters. And your daddy's love has to go someplace because God put it inside of you. So it goes to some rotten little dog that abuses you, manipulates you, and gets his way constantly and makes your life a living hell, but you end up loving him. I mean, it's really sick. So there I am holding this little bitty Yorkie, kissing his little head and stroking him and doing baby talk with him. And all of a sudden it, it dawns on me, wait a minute. In people years, he's over 100. I'm holding a nasty little old man that wants to kill me with a, with a nasty attitude and I'm treating him like he's a little baby. He's older than I am. And I said, why am I doing this? I said, Lord, this is ridiculous. I talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, this is ridiculous. I'm treating him like he's a little baby. And the Lord said, well, that's how I see you. I said, no, 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 that's sick. He said, no, I I see you like a baby. I said, why? He said, the same reason that you love Emmett. He's small 
and he's helpless and he needs you. And he said, you're small and you're helpless and you need me. So I see you like a child and I will always see you like a child. But here's the question. When was the last time you let him treat you like a child? When was the last time you let him pick you up and hold you and cuddle with you and stroke your head and tell you how much he loves you? That's how he loves you. Why aren't you experiencing that love? I'm going to end with a story. When I was in my early 30s, we had no children, couldn't have kids, And I'd given my whole life to the church. My whole identity was being a pastor. And the first child in our extended family was my sister's, my my wife's sister. And they had a little baby named Willie. And um, they were his first baby in the family. I mean, they're super proud and happy and everything. And I'm like, eh, children, what a nuisance. I'm busy doing God's work. Children, what a nuisance. I'm busy doing God's work. So I didn't show much attention to the kid. And then Willie got really sick in the hospital. He was running a temperature of 105. They thought he was going to die. So my sister-in-law called me and said, come to the hospital, pray for Willie. I am doing the Levite thing, right? You know, family, obligation. So I go there and I anoint his head with oil and I pray in tongues over him for a while and holding him and walking the halls of the hospital praying over him it goes on for a few days and he's really still critically ill so I I went every day for sometimes eight eight or more hours just holding him praying for him about six days maybe a little less the fever broke but I kept on going because I'd never seen a sick baby most babies, they're moving around. Their little arms and legs are going and, you know, they're making some noise. And he, just, he just hung in my arms like he was dead. Even though the fever broke, he was, he was just a mess. So I went day after day after day for about a week, maybe more, every day holding him. And uh, the day he was to be released, I was holding him. And... His mom and dad were standing there and the doctor came up and the doctor said, you can take him home now. You can, he said, you can give him to his mother. You can take him home now. So I took a hold of him and I started to give him to his mother, but he wouldn't let go of me. He had his hands around my neck, just clinging to me. And I realized he wants to be with me. And this love just came up inside of me. It was so powerful. Gave him to his mother, and they took him home, and I started missing him like crazy. So I called his mother. Well, you know, you've been through a very, very hard time. This has been difficult. You really, uh, you need a day off with the girls to go shopping. Me, I'm Christ-like. I'll come and take care of them for you. (laughs) Do you think that's a good idea? She started to laugh. She said, I know what you're trying to do. She said, you miss him, don't you? I said, terribly. She said, okay, you can come. Every Monday you can come and spend the day with him. And our church was uh, 
we were holding two services at the time and ran the Sunday school in one service and spoke in both of them and then a Sunday night service. I mean, it was exhausting. But I will do anything to be with him on Mondays. I don't care how tired I am. I want to be with him. And uh, so I babysit him and change his diapers and everything. We did that for five years, every Monday for five years. And I remember <laughs> it was, he, he didn't speak, but he would toddle around the house and point to things and go, uh, uh, and it's sick. But whatever he pointed to, I brought to him. I brought a couch. I brought a chair. I took pictures off the wall. I'm not exaggerating. I moved a lamp. I mean, I didn't care what it was. He gets what he wants. He points at something. He gets it. I bring it to him. There, my gift of love to you, a couch. And uh, I wait, you know, like the morning, he always had a lot of energy. And we played games and I moved stuff for him. And he was just a bundle of activity. But I'm waiting till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. What happens at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Nap time, he gets tired. And I get to hold him. And it's all I've been waiting for all day. I just want him, I want him in my arms. And in the morning, I tried just grabbing him and picking him up and holding him, but he squirms so much and hates it. I have to wait for him to get tired. And when he gets tired, he comes to me. And he comes across the floor, and I'm sitting on the couch, and he reaches out his arms, and he goes, uh, uh. And then I pick him up, and then I hold him, and he falls asleep in my arms. That's my payoff right there. That's why I'm there. I just want to hold him, and I want to love him. One day, he tottered across the floor, and uh, he was about two, two and a half. And he tottered across, and he went, uh, uh. And I was sitting in a chair, and I picked him up, and he put one foot on this knee and one foot on this knee, and I'm holding him by the waist, and he's about that far away from me and we're looking into each other's eyes and he takes his finger and he looks at it and then he shoves it up my nose (laughs) shoved it all the way up to the knuckle his only little finger like this shoved it all the way up to the knuckle and he held it there and then he pulled it out and he looked at it in the light it was all shiny and he stuck it up again right up to the right up to the knuckle Right there. And I'm sitting there holding him, looking into his eyes with his finger up my nose. And this rush of love came up inside of me stronger than anything I had ever felt before. I loved him with a love that took me by surprise. And out of my mouth came this without thinking. And this is my point. Without thinking, I said, Oh God, are you jealous because you can't have me like this? And in that moment, I understood. This is how God feels about me. And then I realized, as I thought about it, God wants to be with you. 
to fulfill his Father's heart with you. And you are just like Willie. You're running around working for him. You're running around doing your life. You're full of energy. You don't come to him, but he's waiting. He's waiting for you to get tired where you'll just quit running around and working for him and just come and let him love you. And he knows he's patient. He can't force you. He can't grab you and force you into his arms. It won't work. You'll just squirm and run away. He's waiting for you to realize, I want God's love. I need God's love. I'm tired of life under the law. I need God's love. And when you come to him, you think it's for you. Well, I'm so exhausted and so tired. I just need some of God's love. Well, that's true. But guess what? His heart is fulfilled in that moment because he gets to be the father he wants to be with you. So how about you just admit I really want to be loved by God like this. Spirit of adoption, do it in me. Reveal to me how much the Father really loves me. And come to Him. No shame. Yes, I need your love. Absolutely. I admit it. I need your love. Yes, I'm small. I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. But that's what you're drawn to because you're the perfect Father. So hold me one more time. Pick me up one more time. Touch me and tell me, kiss me, tell me how much you love me because I need it and because it makes you happy when I come to you like this because you get to have your Father's heart, your perfect, infinite Father's heart fulfilled one more time. Does this sound like a good idea? Isn't this better than life under the law? Isn't this what he always intended? Isn't he just the absolutely perfect Father? Close your eyes. We have the time to do a little, a little uh, exercise. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of adoption. You, pro- you provide conclusive evidence at the very core of our being that we are your well-loved children that we're children of the Father. That's what you do. That's what you like to do. That's who you are. Holy Spirit, please come. Manifest your presence right now, Spirit of adoption. Speak words of love. Touch us with your love. Reveal the heart of the Father to us. Don't push him away. The enemy says you don't deserve it. So what? It's got nothing to do with what you deserve. It's got to do with the Father's heart. Well, well, I haven't, I don't deserve this. No, you don't deserve this. It's got nothing to do with what you deserve. This is him. This is what he does because he wants to. Father, I'm weak. And he says, yes, you are. And I'm attracted to weakness. 
I'm drawn to it. He says, just let me love you. Just receive. Just receive my love. Now just receive his love. Just say, yes, Father. That's what I want, Father. It's what I need. Yes, Father, I'm going to make this part of my life with you. Yes, Father, I'm going to come. I'm going to come every day. I'm just going to come and let you love me. I'm just going to receive from you because that's when I'm being transformed.
Sit still and rest in his arms and give him your permission to love you like that. Spend some time to be still. You, you don't have to study anything. You don't have to figure anything out. You just have to say, hey, I'm here to let you love me because you want to and I need it. If you make a habit of that, <laughs> you're going to be transformed. You're going to be transformed. Not because of anything you do, but because of what he does and how he feels about you. One of the best questions you can ask God, and we hardly ever do it because we're afraid of the answer, Father, tell me how you feel about me. What are your emotions towards me? What do you feel about me? It's always, it's always good news. Because he speaks as a father with a father's heart. Okay? Go for it. Go for it and watch what happens. Let's give the Lord a mighty shout of praise. Hallelujah. If you're in need of prayer, I just invite you down to the front here to receive prayer. Uh, and we're just going to continue to worship. Come on down to the front. It's a sign of surrender. And if, if not, you... Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week. Make sure you get involved in a connect group. Check out our website for locations. But yeah, I'll invite the prayer teams down if you want to dive a little deeper. Receive prayer.
I've searched the world But it couldn't fail me Man's in 